This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Well, good morning. This is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability coming to you again with our podcast on leading from the front. And today I'm talking to a special guest, the CEO and executive director of one of the largest Habitat for Humanities in the United States. And I'm very excited because of the track record this woman has had over the last several years down in the uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida area building over 20 homes this year for people that are in great need of these homes. And I'm just very excited because of the transition this guest has made from the banking industry, from you know going from business to nonprofit. And I think there's some things that we can learn from her today about that transition and the leadership that she has demonstrated both in the banking industry and in this uh, terrific area of uh, building houses with Habitat for Humanity. So with that said, I would like to introduce you to Nancy Robin, the CEO and Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, Broward County in Fort Lauderdale. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Dr. Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you. So when I think of the people that uh, you and I have worked with over the last few years, this very diverse group of passionate leaders in this nonprofit with uh, Habitat, it's uh, it's a different world, isn't it, from what you experienced with the bank? You know, it really is. It's a complex world, but you know, business is business. Mm. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges is to take this amazing social cause and really integrate uh, business discipline to our rhythm. And mm. quite frankly, you've taken this journey with us and the results have been extraordinary. And it always boils down to people, having mm. great people. It, it really does. And we talk about leadership and say, well, first we have to share this real fundamental concept of compassionate accountability. And when you come into the transition in a new, a new environment, do you find that maybe the accountability part is the toughest part? Is it the compassionate part? You know, with people that are so passionate about the work that they're doing, but really understanding, you know, their heart and soul is in it. And sometimes that can actually get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's when you look at people and when you look at talent, you have people that have, you know, perhaps the capacity to do the job, but may not be a cultural fit. Sometimes you have a perfect cultural fit, but they just don't have the technical ability or the capacity to do the job. And that's, that's the more difficult situation. And um, certainly getting the right team in place and driving change in terms of direction was, was a real challenge coming in. So 
this is an interesting thing that you've said about making sure that there's cultural fit, which is there's a lot of, I can remember uh, reading uh, Jack Welsh's book with General Electric, and he said there were four types of people, you know, people that were high performers and there was a cultural fit, people that were low performers and they weren't a cultural fit. With the first group, he says, pay them a lot. With the second group, get rid of them. But the two groups in the middle were the difficult ones, the ones that are a cultural fit, but they you haven't quite found a spot for them yet. And the ones that are great performers, but there wasn't a cultural fit. How, how do you define this idea of cultural fit? What, what is that? Uh, how do you know that a person is a cultural fit or not? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, with Habitat, it's really quite easy. Uh, we are a mission-driven organization and, you know, culturally in terms of mission, that's easily defined. In terms of our rhythm and how we drive, to deliver and help people, that's a big part of culture too. And getting to that point and figuring out, does everybody have the rhythm uh, and ability to follow a business rhythm and jump on board and embrace that or not? And, you know, it's kind of defining this is what our business rhythm is going to be. This is what our goals are. And, you know, some people jump on board to drive and lead change. Others don't. And as leaders, you know, it's really important for us to figure that out and figure it out pretty quickly because the bottom line is, is that A players want to play with A players. And if you're carrying somebody that's not an A player, there is nothing more demotivating to your A players than to carry dead weight uh, Mm. or people who just don't fit. Yeah, because eventually that brings everybody down, doesn't it? It, it, it sure does. Yeah, so so it really does come down to that, that balance of uh, heart and mind and getting things done. It, have you found the use of the vocabulary, business rhythm, business cadence, anything that you say business, that we've got to achieve the business of Habitat, that uh, people in nonprofits find that a uh, like a bad word or, or not? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, um, Habitat is a volunteer organization. We are literally an army of volunteers. Mm. Uh, but the folks who work here, they are not volunteers. They they may have a heart for the mission, but they are paid associates. Um, and there is a there there is a difference. And I you know I think that in defining accountability, setting, you know, metrics and goals and, you know, meeting regularly, there were associates that felt that maybe they were volunteering for work here and wanted to do the work that that was meaningful for them, uh, but not necessarily all the work that needed to be done. Um, And, you know, what I found coming in was that Uh, It was so many different businesses involved in Habitat were a construction business, a development business, a mortgage company, uh, uh, fundraising. I mean, there's just a multitude of, of divisions here that we really needed experienced people who could hit the ground running and hit the ground running fast. And we made changes pretty fast to get, you know, really... Uh, seasoned, experienced leaders that could drive very quickly. 
And, um, you know, as, as you recall, you know, with, with my arrival here, you joined us pretty quickly to help us put, you know, really an entrepreneurial operating system in place, very much like any other business that really stabilized us and, and kind of took the fires out of things so that uh, everybody knew what direction we were rowing in. Everybody knew what the key goals were. Uh, we set a regular communication structure and rhythm so that we could help each other when we were off and, and keep on track. And, you know, quite frankly, with that rhythm, we in three years have literally tripled our production and our revenue. Well, yeah, if I remember correctly, before you got there, the year before you got there, they built four or five or six houses, and this year you're going to build over 20. What is it this year now? Yeah, we're actually 26 this year. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's, so, that's amazing. Because uh, I'm, I'm looking at your mission statement, and, and just so that anybody that doesn't know Habitat for Humanity, it's a nonprofit organization that helps families build and improve places to call home. And we believe affordable housing plays a critical role in strong and stable communities. And one of the things that, as I've learned about Habitat, that people should know is these people are not given these homes. They have a, they have a responsibility when they're given the opportunity to move into a house and make it a home to then have the responsibility of paying the mortgage. And they get ownership over the years, just like anybody else. But Habitat gives them the opportunity to be able to have a home that in the normal marketplace, they would never have that opportunity. Thank you for that. You know, it's um, housing and affordable workforce housing is actually a national crisis right now, and it takes a village. And everything helps from the volunteers that we have to the donors that we have. And, you know, it just is absolutely an amazing and beautiful model in economic empowerment. And there's nothing uh, that can replace just having a stable roof over one's head. And home ownership is just the traditional traditional way to build wealth in our country and the dream of home ownership is, you know, sadly uh, becoming harder and harder to, to obtain. So I really appreciate appreciate yeah. being able to talk about the mission a little bit. Well, you, you brought up something that I, I wanted to highlight because I that your use of words, and this is always interesting, is as you said, when when you first got there, you were fighting fires and which in stated in another way, everything was very reactionary, not having a planned, proactive approach to accomplishing the mission. And the, the struggle was to get rid of the fires without taking the fire out of the people. Oh, that's, that's beautifully said. And, you know, that's what you did. I mean, you know, there's always, and I want to point something else out that I think is fascinating. And that is that through all this, it sounds like you made a lot of changes and you did, but most of the people that were there, three or four years ago are still there today. Yeah, you know, I think that when you look at leaders that, that you admire, number one, they're, they're leading from the front and their organizational savvy is high and they really understand each area of the business. They don't have to be the expert, but they have a keen understanding and they're, they're not going to ask anything of you that they wouldn't do themselves. And I think the other part of that is uh, when 
it, when your leaders and your team are the ones that are leading and coming up with the vision and developing their own business plans, it's, it's grassroots driven. And, you know, there's, there's nothing more empowering that than that. And I think, you know, for those leaders who are listening, um, I think that, that we all know, you know, when it's coming from our teams, the, the engagement and the results typically are better than anything we could have thought of ourselves. So is there a difference between this idea of leadership in a banking culture that you came from to a nonprofit culture that you're in, leaving the volunteer part out? Because I, I, I get that there's a big difference, but let's talk about the associates, your paid associates that are paid to do a job. Is there a difference? There is a difference. Um, however, there's not. So I think that I hate the term nonprofit, actually. You know, oh. it's really social sector. And we have an obligation to really steward every donor dollar received to its highest efficiency and best use. Uh, we have just a tremendous level of responsibility and care uh, to use our dollars for the greatest good for the highest output that we possibly can. So it requires, you know, in my mind, even a higher level of business discipline. So all the skills that are business skills are no different here than there. What I have found is that people who are traditionally in the social sector are, for lack of a better term, uh, tend to be feelers and think in terms of the impact on others. And my background, uh, not that I wasn't a feeler, but I tended to be more analytical and thought about the analytical impact uh, as well as the people impact. So for me as a leader, there was an adjustment in embracing uh, that and leveraging that because we need, you know, that, that caring heart and sensitivity, um, but to mesh that with some, with discipline and drive. Mm. Yeah. So what I just wrote down was caring heart with results. Yeah. And here's, you, you just educated me on something because nonprofit is a, it's actually a tax term. I mean, yeah. and I can understand you say, well, I don't like that word, that tax term of nonprofit and being from a banking, I, I can see how you would uh, connect it with that. Right. But here's, here's what I wrote in the social sector. What you're creating is socially responsible organizations that bring remarkable results where other organizations can't or won't. Wow. That's powerful. Well, that's what you just said. I'm I just like interpreting. I said it better. see that's good teamwork right yeah so you've inspired me with that thought though is it's a socially responsible organization and and shifting kind of the way we think of it as a socially responsible and that responsibility becomes from the heart and the soul and the results well you're getting back to my phrase of compassionate accountability which which uh is really the essence of, of effective leadership so so what, what advice would you give to young leaders today, whether they go into these socially responsible organizations or into banking or any business, what, what kind of advice would you give to some young people today? Yeah, yeah. I think number one, speak up. Uh, like think is the death of any business and ultimately is career suicide. Um, there's ways to be diplomatic. But people want to work for people who stand for something and have managerial courage. And I think that, 
you know, as long as you're value driven and you know that you're working for the good of your organization and your folks, it's hard to make a wrong turn. But I would really recommend speaking up and hire teams and surround yourself with people who think differently than you because, you know, again, like think is the death to a business. Um, Mm. I also would recommend as a leader that you're a buffer. You know, just like at home, we want a happy family. At work, we want that same piece too. And we often spend more time at work with each other than we do at home. And it it really is no difference in the workplace. Uh, Trust is key. And, you know, when you put together that A team, as a leader, you need to be consistent and calm. You need to allow for failure. That's how we learn. And you need to have your people's back. And it's not about you or your ego. You're representing the name on the door. However, your people work for you. They are, you know, the name on the door isn't as important as their relationship with you. So those two things are important. You know, the other thing we talked about, Dr. Gary, which is, you know, try to be grassroots. Your your team is, um, even if you know what you want to accomplish, if it comes from your team, the buy-in and and the level that they'll take it to is going to be better than any level you could take it to. And your ability to grow your leaders is just just invaluable. And and that's how you help people grow is, you know, kind of talk about the vision and then kind of let your team figure out the best way to, to get there and be there for support. And uh, trust your instincts. They were given to us for a reason. And, you know, we talked about it. A players want to play with A players and always be curious and read. Our ability as leaders is kind of to be able to predict the future. And that's really a critical skill set. Yeah, read, learn, educate, all of those things. Be a lifelong learner is an important thing for a leader, isn't it? It really is. And and just the last thing that I want to touch on, because I think, you know, putting all that together and what's really uh, impacted us here, and you have been such an intricate part in helping me as a leader, as well as our team here, is establish a system that is predictable and reliable with setting one to two goals, you know, business plans, making sure that you have a very clear communication schedule and rhythm. We followed the scaling up entrepreneurial system model at your recommendation. And when you combine having a team of good leaders with a very sound business discipline, it really becomes easy. It calms the business down and it brings your team together in ways that are beyond rewarding. You know, I wanted to go back to uh, something that you said about grassroots because there's another principle that I've, I put in here, no involvement, no commitment. You know, if we don't yeah. involve people, we don't get their commitment, we don't get their heart and soul. And uh, one of my favorite sayings when I had, I was in transition management. I had seven different jobs in manufacturing in 10 years. And my favorite three words was, I don't know. People would walk into my office and what are we going to do with this? I don't know. What, what do you think we should do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They got and, so and used to it. They started thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's, I love that. And you know, it's, it's come to me with solutions, not problems. And you know, it's, it's, it's also all that trust building again. Yes. Yeah. So 
if you were you're going to write yourself a letter and going back into banking or let's just say three years ago you're going to write yourself a letter saying okay nancy you're taking over as the ceo of this socially responsible organization i won't call it a nonprofit. what would you have written to yourself could you have written yeah. to yourself that might have helped well there's four key things and one note at the end. And I think the first thing is not to be afraid of failure. For me, sometimes fear of failure is my motivation. I don't know if that's so healthy or not, but I remember uh, watching a Michael Jordan movie that came out many, many years ago, and it's powerful. There's a million YouTube videos where he really does a great job talking about how much we learn from failure. And, you know, I love the phrase now, failing forward. So not being afraid of failure. Okay. And I think, I think the second thing is, is don't be afraid of conflict. You know, I always wanted peace and I really refined my diplomatic skills my, over the years. And um, fairly early in my career, I worked for a guy that really had mastered embracing conflict. And, you know, I came to just love working for him and learn so much in that, you know, you don't get change without conflict. And it's really recognizing that as leaders, we really are change agents and, you know, managing through conflict and, you know, not dealing with it very respectfully and keeping it on issue. And, you know, there's always workplace bullies. Uh, mm. they're, they're out there, you know, and to be able to not let it fester for two seconds and address it head on and immediately is, is really critical. And, and when you do that and you're not fearful of just, you know, saying yes and, and you address conflict and, and, and you're driving, it wins confidence and respect. And when I really mastered that, my career really took off. So mm. not to be afraid of failure, not to be afraid of conflict. And then, you know, positive energy truly attracts positive energy. And we've all read Nathaniel Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which, you know, produced the secret and that our thoughts are as tangible as, you know, the items on our desk. But I really do believe that is true. And the energy that we exude every day attracts the type of energy that we're putting out. And as leaders, you know, it's really, really critical that we're aware of the energy that we bring every single day. It's what inspires others. It's what attracts others. And winners want to play with winners. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing that I would say is to follow the Pareto principle, especially in today's world, like there's so many distractions and our time is just so critical that, you know, to focus on no more than a handful of items that are really, really critical because truly the 20% is going to bring us the 80% of results. And so I think don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of conflict, positive energy and the 80-20 rule. That's a Great summary and a lot of wisdom behind those that we could spend hours and hours talking about each one of those, I think. I love the uh, some of the work that we're doing with leaders on positive energy because they find more and more with the studies that we do. We do have an energy about ourselves that impacts other people. And even without words, without speaking, without any kind of outward expression, we have an energy that 
is impacting each other. And uh, that that is one of the most powerful things, I think, as leaders is being able to walk in the door every day and just be up and be positive and be uh, a, a light because so many people, quite frankly, are struggling. And as yeah. leaders, we, we, don't, we don't get to struggle. We, we don't get to have a bad day. We, we do, but we have to have that attitude like we don't get to. So just this is great stuff. And I really very much appreciate. Is there any, any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with us today, Nancy, that kind of sparked your thoughts as we've gone through this uh, conversation? Well, I think just the fact that anyone listening to this is already a leader because when you're listening to glean how to improve yourself, uh, that probably is the core of leadership. You know, it's, it's just like any sports figure, you know, it is just, you know, study and practice and fine tuning and it is a process. So if you're listening, you're already home. You know, I think that, uh, it's a community of learning and refining and, you know, it is a gift to be able to impact somebody's life and career. It's a gift. So those that are interested in management and leadership and running business, it's a rare skill set. Truly, there's a lot of folks that are really, really good technically and have leadership within them. But to be able to really look at a team and, and, and you know, spot those talents and figure out how to make that orchestra play together is a divine talent. Yeah. A, a talent that uh, we talk about all the time, the talent of leadership that needs to be honed every single day, like what, by what you said earlier, by learning, by experience, by coaching, by uh, training, by development. And that's what makes us all that much better in that responsibility. And it's not for everybody. It's absolutely not for everybody. Well, Nancy, I thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your thoughts. And, uh, and I know that there are 26 people this year that thank your organization for being able to have homes to live in with their families and their children. And the organization is just something uh, so, so very, very special that I've had the the privilege to work with for a few years. And I thank you for trusting me with that responsibility to help your team and your organization. Well, we thank you. Your journey with me along the way has literally helped us triple the amount of folks that we're able to serve. So thank you. Well, thank you. So this is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And that's our latest on Leading from the Front. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.